Hello and welcome to another episode of High Low with Ramrata. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're not, I just want to run through. Tuesdays, we have our feature-length interview with culturally relevant guests like Taylor Lorenz, Esther Perel, Victoria Monet, Flo Millie. On Thursdays, we do an Emrata Asks where I do a deep dive in on to a topic that's been on my mind or could be related to current events or a book or a recent interview. And also every Thursday, we drop an exclusive subscriber-only talkback episode where I play your voice notes and respond to your comments. If you want to hear what you're missing, use the free trial feature on Apple Podcasts to check it out. I really love that episode. All right, this week we're doing one related to the news. We're going to be talking about the intersection of the legal world and celebrity. If you follow entertainment or pop culture news, which everyone and their mother does now, there have been quite a few prominent cases and legal developments over the past few months as they pertain to very big stars. A couple examples, uh, Tory Lanez, Megan Thee Stallion shooting trial, the actor Danny Masterson's recent conventions for his sexual assault. But obviously um, in the past year, there's been Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial, obviously got a lot of coverage and plenty of other important but lesser known legal battles that play out on a daily basis. Megan Cuniff, a legal affairs reporter, played a crucial role in providing accurate information during the high-profile trial of Tory Lanez, who was charged with shooting Megan Thee Stallion and sentenced to 10 years. Um, Amidst widespread online speculation and a lot of misinformation, um, Cuniff earned the nickname Meg the Reporter as she became a trusted source of information, especially among Megan Thee Stallion's fan base, the hotties. She's also been verbally attacked for her reporting, both online and even in the courtroom. And um, Tory Lanez himself has had some pretty terrible things to say about her. We are going to have her on today to discuss a lot of things that have come up, actually in the Taylor Lorenz interview about traditional media um, versus all the media we get from different sources online um, about misogyny and celebrities and privacy with these cases so much more after this break we will be back with megan cuniff this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, let's just jump right in if that's okay with you. Sure. All right, well, first off, I just wanted to kind of introduce you to our listeners. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm Megan Cuniff, and I am a legal affairs journalist in Southern California. I cover trials in Orange County in LA, a lot of celebrity cases, and then some federal public corruption cases thrown in. I read that you come from a family of legal scholars and that you actually remember your dad discussing the O.J. Simpson trial during dinners. Um, Have you always known what you wanted to do? 
I've always been interested in the law and I've always been geared toward journalism for sure. It was always between being a lawyer and being a journalist and journalist was always first on the list. So being able to combine the law and journalism is really kind of a dream come true. I wanted to ask you about the ethos around what you do. Um, I'm curious about your personal ethos and why you think it's so important for folks to have access to the information you provide. Right. I think everyone has an opinion these days. And we're in the era of social media commentary uh, commentary, and every everyone wanting to weigh in on the gossip. And I think if you have facts, you can really stand out. And you can stand out from the crowd and really make a difference in letting people know what's actually going on. And being factual in your reporting and, and really understanding the court system and letting people know what's what's going on and what's really a powerful public system that doesn't get a lot of scrutiny. Absolutely. A lot of people first became familiar with you and your name during your reporting of the Tory Lanez trial over shooting, uh, his shooting of Megan The Stallion. I wanted to get into some of the specifics later, but uh, more broadly, I'm just curious about what your experience was like covering this case um, as an independent reporter. I assume you have a lot of choice in which stories and legal matters you you choose to um, to cover. Absolutely. It was definitely an experience. And really, it, it's the case that really spurred me to independence because I was covering the trial when I was at Law and Crime News initially. I was up in L.A. Superior Court covering Harvey Weinstein's trial. Uh, Danny Masterson, the That 70s Show actor, had his trial around the same time. So it made sense just to transition to this other celebrity trial for Law and Crime News. But I got so much attention over it, and there was so much interest in the ins and outs of the case that I felt that to really be able to cover all that and to give the information and the stories over the the post-trial stuff that we needed, that readers were interested in, the best way to do that was to go independent and start publishing on my own Substack and and try to uh, retain my audience that way. So it was really what kind of pushed me to go independent just because I saw what a huge interest there was in the case and just the lack of capacity at like traditional organizations to cover it the way that people were, were wanting it to be covered. Wow, I didn't realize that that was why you went independent. That's very interesting. During the Tory Lanes and Megan Thee Stallion case, you said the first big tweet that I saw was that somebody had taken my picture and they said, it's unfortunate that a white woman with a bob is our only source for accurate information. What was your reaction to seeing that for the first time? I, I remember just being taken aback at how many likes it had. It had like 11,000 likes or something. And I was just kind of blown away by those numbers. But it struck me how how personal this was for people. And of course, you, you kind of focus on the Bob comment. And one of my friends was like, are they making fun of your hair? And I said, no, I, I don't think they are. Like, I don't think I should take this as any kind of personal attack against me. It's just a, a broader point about black representation in the media that, you know, I shouldn't take personally. If anything, they're they're complimenting me in a way. It was it just showed what a personal case this was for people and how much interest there was and then how symbolic it was about black representation in media in the way mainstream media covers cases that are important to non-white communities. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the this case is even still, I mean, Drake said something the other night about Meg Thee Stallion at his concert. It still seems to sort of be this really divisive case. Um, and I know you quickly kind of seem to earn the respect and trust of a lot of Meg's fans and supporters. But I also imagine it was um, 
really difficult to deal with the other side of Tori's fandom. What has it been like? What was so interesting was that it really came up after the trial. During the trial, one, I was so busy covering the trial that I, I wasn't really paying attention to all the chatter. But everyone on both sides was really tuned into me for information. And then it was after he got convicted and the reality kind of set in for his fans that he was in jail and this was it, that they that they really started scrutinizing me and, and attacking me. And they seemed to, to think that they could wage some kind of public relations campaign and it would help his chances for a motion for new trial. I'm, I'm just not quite sure what it was, but it really formed in the months after the trial. And it was it was just surprising because it was so personal and vicious, but then it was it also just seemed pointless. I mean, it was just chatter on the internet that you can block people over. I mean, the idea that I was actually being harassed when I could just block them, I mean, it wasn't, it, it just seemed kind of silly. And in the end, he didn't get a new trial and he got sentenced to 10 years in prison. So I'm not really sure what they were trying to accomplish. But you also had to deal with some of that from Tory and his defense attorney directly, right? They said some pretty terrible things about you. Yes, there was a, a moment in the summer where I covered a uh, a lawyer who was trying to come in on Tory's case, and she'd met with him in jail, and, and she did an interview with me. And I saw it as being uh, a frustration on their part with a lack of control of the message. And I, I've heard that from other people who've, who've followed this case for so long, that uh, the way the hip-hop blogs work and, and the news cycle in the hip-hop industry works is that it's pretty easy to control the news cycle and, and feed information in these blogs. So Tory Lanez was so used to doing that, that then a journalist came in who he didn't really have any control over. And I'm covering something in the summer involving a, a lawyer that they, they just didn't like the news. So Jose Baez, the prominent lawyer in uh, Florida, who I think people might know from the Casey Anthony case all those years ago, he was representing Tory. And he went on his Instagram story. And actually, first first of all, Tory Lanez's team went on Tory's Instagram story and said, said, with all due respect, you know, don't believe anything Megan Cuniff says. She's very biased against Tory and has an agenda. So all it really did was raise my profile quite a bit because he has so many followers. And I remember my website traffic just spiking that day because people were Googling me. You know, they didn't know. But I, I really seem to have gotten under their skin in some way. I mean, I think this all speaks to the importance of what you do, because now there is obviously so many non-traditional media sources and ways people get their information um, and, and people use their platforms to sort of try to sway people. It is um, kind of back to the point you made about the importance of what you do really clear when you see the reaction that Tory and his defense tried to kind of use, you know, their fo his following to sway the court system. Yeah, they, they definitely did. There, what really hi was highlighted in this case was the huge disconnect between, you know, popular opinion on the internet, the the Instagram comment section, and then what actually happens in the courtroom. Because for me, going into the case, not being familiar with any of the backstory on it, I just from um, immediately didn't think it looked good for Tory. I mean, I was like, this is a pretty seems like it's going to be a pretty slam dunk conviction. I mean, they it's it's hard to get an acquittal in a case like that. And this just seemed like a silly defense. And he just seemed completely cooked from the opening statement for me. And that was me going into it completely cold, not even knowing who he was. I had heard of her before, but I actually hadn't even heard that she'd been shot before. So it was really surprising to me that he he just thought he'd be 
acquitted, that they thought that that could actually happen. I mean, the chances of that actually happening in the court system are like slim to none. But, uh, you know, it, it could. So I guess he was just really gassed up on that. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you um, about his sentence and how you feel it stacks up and also kind of about his general conduct and behavior throughout the trial and how it may have influenced or, or not influenced the time that he did get. Yeah, the, the judge did make it clear that the post-shooting behavior, and that's the the album that he wrote, uh, Daystar, that was uh, released a few months after the shooting that has lots of lyrics about the shooting that the prosecutor actually quoted a few times during the sentencing hearing, uh, all the social media posts, and then his court order violations. There was a protective order in place against Megan. He wasn't supposed to come within 100 feet of her. And he'd actually gone to the Rolling Loud Music Festival in Miami with DeBaby and uh, gotten up on stage when she was performing at the same show and it was a breach of the protective order violation. And that led to a misconduct finding by the judge or that he'd violated a pretrial order. So all of those missteps after the shooting definitely contributed to his sentencing. The judge said he saw that behavior as a major aggravating circumstance in the in the sentence. So it's possible that he could have gotten a few years less if he if he hadn't had that conduct. Yeah, there's still um, a lot of talk of like, free him, he's innocent. Um, Aiden Ross recently popped up on Megan's TikTok comments and wrote, free Tory, and he said, there's no evidence. Can you just sort of, um, you know, fact check <laughs> that that a bit? Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of evidence against him. There was at least 47 pieces of evidence entered on his side or on on prosecutors side of the case. There's the jail phone calls are bad for him. The the one phone call that he made to Kelsey Harris, who's Megan's friend, where he's apologetic. He doesn't actually apologize for the shooting. But when you listen to the phone call, I the prosecutor said there's just nothing else. It seems like he could be talking about there. The fact that the gun was found at his feet. He was identified by Sean Kelly, who was a neighbor, who said that he thought that the women were fighting initially and that he thought the flashes, a.k.a. the gunshots, started with one of the women. But then he unequivocally identified Tori as the shooter and said Tori was firing everywhere and really agitated. So that was really bad for him. And... I mean, there was there, there's just a culmination of evidence here that contributes to that. And I think that 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 kind of messaging against Megan is something that she might just have to, you know, we, we might be enduring that for a long time because I don't feel like these people are open to facts. I don't feel like we could sit them down and go through the evidence and go through the trial with them and have them understand because in the end, this information is all out somewhere. But just the misogyny that she's always faced, the idea that that's just going to completely go away. I, I I think it's just kind of a sad commentary on, on some of those people that they choose to do that. I want to talk a little bit more about that with you in a second. But first, I wanted to talk about the um, Iggy Azalea letter um, that she wrote on behalf of Tory Lanez, especially in the wake of the Danny Masterson, um, Aston Kutcher, and Mila Kunis letter to the judge also getting leaked and, you know, sort of the backlash they've received. We will be back with more right after this break. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. 
You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. I wanted to kind of get you just talking about how common it is for these sort of letters to be submitted and, you know, how often are they leaked? It seemed like everyone was very surprised, Iggy and Ashton and, and Mila, that they that they got out. I don't know that they would have written these letters had they known they were going to be public. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, they're, they're so common in the court system. And I'm actually working on an article right now about that, just how these types of letters get filed really in every kind of case. And it's so common to hear from family members and friends about background of the criminal defendant and whether there are calls for leniency or not is sometimes up in the air. But the letters are always public. And, and Iggy Azalea made clear, she said in her tweet that she was told that the letter wouldn't be made public, that it was for the judge's eyes only. And Ashton Kutcher almost said that in his video, but didn't quite. He just said that it was for the judge. Especially Danny Masterson's lawyers are really experienced. So I, I would be surprised if they had told Ashton that only the judge would see it, because these are so traditionally public records. In the federal court system, we could all just go online right now to a high-profile case in a sentencing and pull up the sentencing letters. Like when Elizabeth Holmes, America's favorite fraudster, got sentenced in the Theranos scandal, she had a ton of letters and from some pretty prominent people. Uh, Cory Booker, the senator, actually wrote her a letter. So, of course, when that was docketed, everybody was able to get it instantly, and it was a story. It's harder to get those documents in L.A. Superior Court because they're not just online. You can't just log in and download it. But they're still public records. So, And the judge uh, in Lanes's case made clear that they would be put on the public record, and then uh, the judge in Masterson's case, too. So I, I think... Tory Lanez's lawyers, uh, Jose Baez not being from California and Matthew Barhoma not having that much experience with criminal sentencings in trial court, I think they just didn't know and must have just told Iggy Azalea wrong. But I would just be so surprised if Danny Masterson's lawyers had told Ashton that his letter wouldn't be out because it's just it's such a classic public record. And, and to me, it's kind of offensive and scary for the court system and democracy and public society that celebrities think that they can write letters to judges advocating for lenient criminal sentences in big public cases and that nobody will ever know that that the judge will just like take all these letters in secret and that the judge could be influenced by this and not tell the public about it it seems completely inappropriate to me that anybody would even be okay with that yeah it's also bizarre i mean as somebody who's a public figure like i'm very used to everything getting leaked so i was very shocked that these people had expected that these would be private um, and also just that their behavior privately in public would potentially be different is also alarming. I want to talk to you about the misogyny of all of this. I mean, you mentioned you covered the Danny Masterson case. We've talked about it a couple of times in regarding the letters and everything else, um, but also obviously the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial, and then even just the own, the you know attacks that you faced 
I'm, I know we could talk about this for hours, but I'm just kind of interested to hear your notes on how you think women are treated specifically in the legal system, but also um, in the media and how you think, th- think things would have maybe been different for you if you had been a man covering these high profile cases. The legal system has obviously so much misogyny. I mean, if you look at big law firms and their partner counts, it's mostly men. The The number of, of female judges, of course, is pales in comparison to the number of male judges. But that being said, my years in legal journalism, like working for the Los Angeles Daily Journal and then ALM, I really didn't feel like I was treated with outright disrespect from the lawyers that I covered and the judges that I met with. I, I, to the contrary, I felt, if anything, that these people had had more respect for me and treated me less condescendingly than I would get when I worked at like the Orange County Register and was covering uh, the Board of Supervisors or county government. And it's like some public relations person who's like, oh, is this some story you're working on, hon? You know, something like that. But the lawyers, if, if you call lawyers and you can show that you actually do know about their case and you've been sitting in the trial and you understand the trial, you can earn their respect that way. So I, I went into the the mainstream law crime coverage coming from that background. And so I was really taken aback by like the immaturity level and some of the insults that were being uh, flown around on Twitter. And part of that is I think just Twitter has changed so much in the last few years, but it was really a push to focus on your appearance. I mean, I I talked about this with another neighbor, a woman journalist who has a big audience and they always go for your appearance. I mean, it's always that you're ugly or some kind of commentary about your home life and your husband or something. I mean, it's, it's very, very focused on that. And what about in the actual courtroom with Meg the Stallion and what she experienced? Oh, and I, I think it was such a microcosm of like the bigger internet uh, attack and the outrage that she had. I mean, she had endured so much for so long, but then when she goes into the courtroom, she had a very like commanding presence in the courtroom. And I still have the video of her walking into the courthouse and just kind of the big scene and the kind of the almost parting of the waters that happened before for her. So she definitely had a big presence in the courtroom that, you know, it's not like anyone was shouting insults at her when she was up on the witness stand. You know, it, it was almost symbolic of how different it is and how, how the Internet world and in, in the, the trash talking that goes on there is just not the the same as the real world and how the real world and the people who run it, you know, maybe don't take that stuff very seriously. Right. Like they wouldn't say it to your face. Yes. Do you think that there, I mean, you've been covering this kind of stuff for a while. Do you think that there, because of this culture of kind of hate on the internet, misogyny on the internet, do you, what do you think kind of we can do to change the culture around misogyny and um, sexism, both in the, in real life and online? I think the big thing is to to push back and speak out about it because you you want to ignore it and and you want to not give it the attention that it deserves but I think society also needs to be a little more vocal or a little more disowning of that behavior and to to speak out against that but you know I also think I I think that people do and I think the idea that I covered a hip hop case involving a rapper who shot another rapper. And if you just listen to some of Tory Lanez's lyrics, I mean, the idea that some of his fans were being misogynistic to me online, it's like, oh no, really? I mean, it's like, I don't think we're onto some big revelation here that the hip hop industry treats women like trash. It's just the, the, I mean, I should be 
fortunate that I didn't have it on the same level as Megan Thee Stallion. And you'd like to think that this would be some kind of reckoning for the hip hop industry and and everything that that happened and the way she was treated. But you know, like like you said, there's there's people right now currently flicking Megan crap on social media. And and what kind of backlash are they? they actually facing for this mm-hmm. doesn't seem like much. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I appreciate what you do as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I love that episode. I feel Megan had so much to say. Um, and I just think her, what she's doing is really important work. And I really thought the stuff she had to say about the letters that were sent to the judge was very interesting. I'm excited to read her piece about that because I think it's quite crazy that we had both Iggy Azalea and Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis letters like that leak within weeks of each other. And I'm confused because I have to say, as somebody who's been in the public eye and dealt with many legal cases, sort of everything you submit to the court is public record. And everybody seemed or at least acted surprised. And I don't know if people around them are not smart enough to tell them to not do that or if they're not. I don't know. But that's just really interesting to me. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Again, I do a third episode every week. That's Talk Back. That's one where I play your voice notes. I feel like I'm going to get a lot of submissions because this has continued to be such a controversial case. So please go to hilo.fm or call in the hotline 42HILO4. If you're listening on Spotify, use the Q&A feature on the app or on YouTube. You can always comment. But again, we prefer the voice notes. So thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week. Hi-Lo with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Ratajkowski, Matt Raz, and Sarita Wesley. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.